Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. All right, Ryan and I, we are looking for a great show that we're going to have this time coming up. Uh, we have a great replay, another great horror story that I'm personally working on right now. But what we're going to be doing talking to the replay is we have a customer. Okay. And we're going to talk about why they're choosing the windows because they're two different applications uh, that we're talking about. And what do we got for the college? The college we got coming up is uh, Donabots from the Generations United, an organization that had you on for yes, a major I was there uh, Zoom back on April 1st. facility. And they're all about multi generational. Family units. Living Absolutely. Units. That's a great one to listen to because yeah. I am living in personal and I tell you it does work. So we're looking forward to have Donna come on the show. So Brian, let's talk about your windows and why you wanted to do your windows. Yeah, sure. My house was built in uh, 94. The windows were original to the house. I moved in about a year ago. The house was in need of some some love and the windows were uh, definitely a, a part of the uh, the issue. There's, uh, there's leaking. Uh, they're, they're vinyl windows, but they're leaking. You know, half the screens are missing. The windows are difficult to open. It's, it's been a bit of a disaster. So, um, really needed to just replace them and wanted to, you know, wanted to try and figure out options. Yeah, it seems like a pretty good reason why to change your windows. I mean, <laughs> works age, for me. Age has something to do with it. When you're having that many problems, yeah, absolutely. I know when I first met you, there's a lot of options with windows. And I'm not going to go into all detail now, but I want to go one of the reasons why you chose uh, to go with the Marvin Elevate, the full replacement new construction. Oh, Marvin. Went Marvin? He's going Marvin. Smart going choice. The- yeah, I mean, they just seemed like uh, quality windows from the research that I did. And, I mean, keep in mind, you know, I, I sit in front of a computer all day um, on, on calls and, not, you know, I'm – I'm, I'm no expert in, in windows, so it was a, a bit of a slog to try and get an education and, and get estimates and kind of figure out, you know, how to compare apples to apples. And Kevin, you were certainly helpful in, in helping me to understand uh, kind of all the decision points um, as well. But uh, I, you know, I really wanted uh, something that was going to last. I wanted something that was going to uh, obviously correct the problems that I had. And uh, the Marvin fiberglass seemed to seemed to fit the bill. Yeah, it does. It's basically the second coming of what I have, right? Yeah, you have the okay. uh, you have what's now called the essential. You had the old old tracks. He's actually going with the elevate, which is the old integrity. Okay, because uh, you don't have the wood interior. We're doing all the trim. Everything's. I mean, we're going completely uh, hog wild on this. So he's doing it, but he's done after this. Okay, so I said mm-hmm. one of the things when you do this window, you're done. You never need to do it again. I mean, I put windows in. I, I've been putting these windows in since 1992 when I, I was the first pioneer with these windows. When I was approached by uh, Super Marvin years ago, I've never had problems with the windows. They're mm-hmm. phenomenal. And that's what it is. But there's a lot of great window companies out there. It's just I have certain problems with some of the windows because when you do sell a window like that, I, I've noticed failures happening over the years. You mean an expensive window. Inexpensive. Yeah. Very inexpensive yeah, windows. Inexpensive. Yeah. And, I, and Ryan, you and I talked. I was trying to educate as best as possible because I'm not, I, I don't want to push anything on you. I didn't say, hey, look, you got to use this window. This is the way we're doing it. I want to give you options. Again, not mentioned in other names, other contractors you dealt with. Were they trying to push you into a certain brand or a certain unit that they said you had to use? 
most of the folks that I spoke with didn't necessarily push me into one, you know, one window or another. There were always, there were usually a couple of options and they were happy to install anything. But, you know, the thing that I found interesting was there was, there was very little discussion about the actual installation and, and what the installation process was going to be. It was, you know, it was a spec sheet for the windows and, and the installation was kind of left to, out of the, out of the equation. And that's arguably part of the most important part of getting new windows. So, Amen. Um, yeah. So that was, that was important to me too. When I spoke to your brother, it's the same thing. I know he loved that aspect about us is that I'm the one that's going to be physically doing your work. As anybody else, because this is one of the things I'm hearing out in the, the field today is that a lot of people are saying it's just SNS salesmen and subs that I talk about all the time. Was that something that uh, you were finding more and more that they, they were just offering a subcontract and come to come out and install those windows for you? I, I definitely ran into that, but even the folks that were doing it themselves, uh, you know, when I got quotes, there was very little information about the actual install. It was just a window spec sheet, which, you know, is, um, you know, they may do a fine job in installation, but, you know, the fact that they're not putting it down on paper was um, disconcerting to me and kind of t- turned me off and, and moved me in other directions. Well, thank you, because it made my job, because I'm going to be doing his windows coming up. Uh, we're going to be working on yeah, his yeah. windows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, he said it right. It's the installation, how that window goes in. Because I said to him, I said, Ryan, listen, I, one way I do a window is I use flashing t- Tyvek tape. I've been using them for years. Uh, the reason why it costs a little bit more because it's a one-piece unit for the Tyvek Flex, and, I, and this is what we're going to do. And I don't even like doing jobs where I don't do it because some somebody's asked me. Look, I don't blame you. That's where you did mine. And uh, you know, I, have you had a problem? Um, no, I am totally happy with my. I've got Marvin's too. Um, yeah. So with with the windows that we're going to be putting in, and he's right, is the flashing. So as I said, uh, with, with the window applications, I was trying to tell him stories that uh, I took old windows out of some old vinyl windows that were leaking from 20 years. And I put the same vinyl windows back that were still leaking, but they never penetrated into the house because I, I did it right. Panned it, flashed it, put the, uh, the, the foam at the backside to keep the water out of the house. People still don't have problems. And I just don't understand how today there it's still now over the past couple of years i noticed now more and more people are putting flashing in it doesn't necessarily have to be tyvek or any of the uh, uh, higher end ones but they're still using flashing which is helping but they're still installing it wrong i had a few of them where i actually took some pictures and i, I do put them on facebook where they actually applied over a vinyl window the nailing flange at the bottom the nailing flange should be exposed because if moisture moisture gets into that area it allows it to escape. To come out. It comes yeah, out. Yeah. They were putting mm-hmm. the product on top of it. So I went up to the one homeowner and I said, hey, you, know, you got a problem here. I said, that's not the way Tavik wants to, to have it installed. He said, what do you mean? I'm like, that water's being trapped in there. I said, any water, if that window fails, is going to be trapped inside your house and it can't get out. Maybe you don't want to listen to me, but maybe you want to call Tyvek up and maybe ask if that's the way you, you want to do it. I, I tell you, the, the look they gave me, like, well, is there a problem? Like, you're going to have a big major problem. I would have them rip it all out and redo it and do it. The specs said Tyvek, the product that they're they're purchasing and putting on your house to do Why it right. Why wouldn't somebody follow the specs? I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And the second second question, is there anybody out there today who's not using any flashing at all on Windows? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, so I, oh, I, get a, I show oh, the pictures on my yeah. Facebook and saying, hey, look what's going on. Everybody wants to be a contract. See, COVID changed the contracting field. And we're going to be talking about in that horror story. It changes because everybody wants to be a contractor. Everybody is a contractor now. I've, you know, I've worked somewhere. I've, I've worked as a landscaper or maybe a janitor, and uh, maybe I got let go. Uh, business wasn't good, so I'm going to become a contractor. And that's what I'm seeing today. After you start talking to a few of these contractors, because I try to keep a low profile on who I am. And I'm like, well, that's not good. You shouldn't do it that way. That was done back in the 80s. Do you want to do that now? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do that? I said, well, you're not helping the homeowner out. And then as we go into further, of course, cat, cat's out of the bag. They find out who I am. I said, listen, I'm just here to help the homeowner. The way you're doing it is wrong. You shouldn't be doing it this way. And these are the steps that you should be doing. You know what? It's going to cost more money. I said, yeah, but now the homeowner's not going to have a problem. Because the horror stories are, they're coming in with vengeance now that we're into podcasting. 
And by, by doing this, I want to educate the, our listeners to understand how you, you do get an estimate. And if you don't do it this way, why do the job? Because, hey, Ryan, I'm sure that uh, after you do these windows, you're done. You're, you're never going to need to do them again. Are you planning on redoing them anytime soon after I do them? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. The answer to that is definitely no. I mean, that, and that's part of the calculus for me, right? I mean, I, I, uh, these windows need to be replaced. That's a, that's a certainty. But I, I want to do it once. I want to do it the right way, and then I want to be done with it. I, I don't want to have to worry about it. You know, you'll be looking back when you're 101, saying this was one of the best decisions I ever made. Right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and they'll last that long because you know, having at least experience with the window because when new windows do come out. Uh, it was still like, wow, you know, it seems pretty good, and the product looks pretty good. And I, I was testing the, the product uh, when I remember getting the windows. And after about five or six years, when you noticed how good they are, and I've dealt with a lot of companies, and there are very good windows. Uh, one of the vinyl window companies that I, I stopped dealing with, they already went out of business at that time, but it was all the callbacks that I kept having. I, I don't want callbacks because I'm the one, I'm a small company. I don't want to, I don't want to go back That's to these That's basically a drain on productivity too. It does. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's about mass production with most of yeah, the companies. Yeah. All they care about is getting the dollars. I'm worried about making sure that the homeowner understands exactly what I'm going to be doing, how it's going to be installed the correct way, why you're spending this money. And even still, when you look at it, Ryan, when I, when I first met you, I said, it's simple. I'm not going to tell you who I am or what I did in the industry. I'm just going to say, when you get my price for what I am going to do, you'll find I'm going to be the most least expensive for what I'm going to offer. And was I in line with everybody else or less expensive and offering a lot more when I got done to the estimate? Yeah, I, I would say so. And I mean, there was, there was also a lot, uh, a lot of clarity about what was actually going to be done. Right. And that was, that was part of what was important to me. I mean, not, not seeing that level of information and detail and, and the other bids was uh, was concerning because you you know you kind of make the the worst case assumption and, and and maybe that doesn't turn out to be true but you kind of make that assumption that if they're not willing to put it in writing then then they might be taking shortcuts and and then I'm going to have issues down the line which is what I want to avoid right and that's what we talk about on the show is that more and more people today they they have no legal issue also to go after because these contractors what they do is if they if they start talking to homeowners and this is what I'm finding out you don't ask the right questions. And you know what, if I really need the job, I can leave a lot of that information out. I'm going to be thousands cheaper than everybody else. You're going to give me the job. Now I find out, oh, did you, did you want that? Oh, I'm going to charge you. So I'm going to get my money out of you anyway. And by law, I can do that. That's the worst part about with this right, contracting. Right. So why not give everybody this full information of exactly what be you're going to do? Be straight up about it. Yep. But that's how they do it. Because if you look at it, a new company, how are they going to be able to sell against me or people that have been around for a while? The only way they're going to be able to do it is low, lower the price so much that these people are going to love that price, but they don't know what they're getting. And that's the thing about explaining about that. And if you don't, that's where the gotchas come in. Oh, well, if you wanted that rubber, I'm going to have to charge you $500 Oh, we more didn't realize you wanted that. Yeah. We're I, going to have to charge you extra for it. But that is, most, of, most of the people that I do talk to say they love that low price. And I said, well, why are you coming on my show talking about it on the horror story? Well, you know, we, we didn't know. We, we didn't have the money at the time. I said, well, why don't you wait another year? And then come with the funds to make sure you do it right. Because Ryan's done. He's When we do his windows, he's done. And with us being on site, I know the job's getting right. Because I'm going to be one doing the trim, the installation of the windows. Dave and I, we're going to get it all done. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I offer also, since I'm a more of a general contractor, is the painting on the window. That trim that we're going to be putting on, we're going to paint it to match the window. So it's done. Did the other contractors offer the painting process for you also as a window installer? No, and in, in fact, uh, I mean, in, in, in one case, the, the price was actually uh, higher than what you quoted me, and, uh, and uh, you know, they, they advised me what I needed to get a carpenter out to do the trim separately. I mean, they weren't going to do any of that. So, yeah. <laughs> well, what's the sense of doing window install if you... <laughs> hey, I'm going to say you need to know, know what you were talking about, right? 
<laughs> well, you know what? Most of the people today, they're, they're vinyl window installers. All they want to do is install a window. It's four screws caulking, and, and they're in and out. And then three years, if you don't start maintaining it, uh, you're going to have issues. And they want to do all that. I rather do it right the first time because these do cost a lot of money. We are spending some money together to get this done. But him doing it this way and explaining it, he's going to be done with it. And that's why I, I just don't want problems. And I see a lot of times people are complaining about the, the work that was done, the, the, the windows failing because it's a poor product, the company's out of business. That's what we're trying to avoid, the shortfalls when you get a higher contractor today. And I tell you, when I was looking at the HICPA, thousands and thousands of contractors have been uh, signing up with HICPA in the state of Pennsylvania uh, over the last eight months, nine months with COVID coming around. So with this COVID, it, it blossomed the whole new variants of, of, and you can see them on Facebook. And again, I'm, I'm not here to badmouth anybody, but if you're going to do a job, why not do it right the first time? And which is great because, Ryan, you, you said you're at home. You're still at home working? Yeah, I am. It's going to be great because you're going to get to see us every day. If you have questions, you can ask Dave or I every day what we're doing. If you have any issues, I want you to be well aware of what we're doing. Because years ago, I used to take pictures for people to say, listen, why don't I just take the picture so you see what we're doing? Because if the wind is all trimmed and you can't see it, how do you know we did it? it yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now with people being home today, uh, it makes it a lot easier because I say, hey, listen, why don't you come over here? We stay our social distance, take a look at the, the window and uh, tell me what you think. And I walk through them step by step. So one is on paper, but number two is us being there doing the work. It makes it a lot easier. For yeah, you. a good workaround of that, for whether you're doing windows or whatever it is. If you can't be home, ask, ask the contractor to take pictures of what he's doing. That works for the roof because there's no way I'm going up on a roof to see it. <laughs> no, you don't want to see that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and we're going to be doing some doors. Uh, there's going to be some doors that we're going to be putting in. So it's a lot of things that we're going to be doing. But uh, Ryan, I want to thank you for spending some time with us to talk about your windows and why you chose us and why you're choosing the, the windows and how the application works out because it is the most important. You said it right, the application of the window. Mm -hmm. So thanks for doing this and thank thanks you, for Ryan. coming on your Valuable Home Podcast. Okay, Kev. We got a horror story this week about electrical problem lurking behind the walls. Is that correct? Well, it's electrical and plumbing. Oh, and plumbing too. Yeah. So Mark was on the air a couple of weeks ago. We talked about his replay. We're doing his kitchen and bathroom, and we we always do find problems. I mean, there's it, it's just the way it is. Mark ended up purchasing a house from a contractor, and I happened to be talking to the neighbor right next door because I've oh, done a contractor the, built the house or refurbished refurbished it. it. Okay. So he did some work down in the basement, redid the kitchen up. So he, he kind of did some things over, and it was kind of a flip and. Before he even started the first day on the job, I was talking to the neighbors because I tell the neighbor's houses, except this gentleman. He's like, oh, you're back in the neighborhood. I'm like, yeah, uh, we're getting started and uh, you know, we're going to be working here and we're doing Mark's basement and, and his kitchen. And as we were talking, he said, well, the, the contractor that was there, he's an electrician. And I said, oh, OK, so that would save me some time uh, that at least when he did the kitchen over, it's going to be wired correctly. So perfect. This is going to be great because we always price in, we don't know what we're going to be removing behind the wall because we took a wall up between his kitchen and dining room. And by doing that, we're going to look at it and say, hey, you know, we can get it done. It's going to be quickly. Mark's going to save a lot of money. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. So we did. We jumped the gun, got the plumber in a day early. We're in the basement now. There was existing plumbing there and it, it was redone and you could see the, uh, the PVC, but you figure somebody's going to be doing it. They're, they're going to be doing it right. Well, as the con the plumber that I had, the, ma the master plumber, starts ripping the, the tool area out. We just wanted to be able to make sure everything was tight because I'm going to be one warranting it because I said, I'll, I'll just leave that there. Everything's fine. Right, right, right. I'm sure it's done right. Mm -hmm. we start because it was done by the contractor. It was done by that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's tough to even get through some of the stuff that I've seen. Plumber calls me up and he says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. I, I've got a big problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, 
you're not going to believe this. I'm going to send the pictures over and you tell me what you think. I said, you got to be kidding me. He starts jackhammering out because we, we got the inspector coming. And as I'm jackhammering out because I'm going to be adding a vanity and the shower, well, we're going to keep the, all the drains the same because the, the vanity, we could use that. Well, as we start chopping it up, we have a two inch line going to one and a half inch line. There's no traps. He goes back to the toilet. There's no traps. All it is is it flushes and goes straight into the, the main drain with no vents. There's no traps, no vents. So plumber, I, I said at this point. Was the I, contractor a plumber? Was he a plumber or he's just like. I wouldn't even go as far as a contractor. Because when you hear more of what I'm going to tell you with this story, we're, we're going <laughs> to. It, it, it got to be a nightmare. Mark is, I tell you, he's been great. He's been absolutely great. Because he every day he's there, he sees the work that we're doing. And, he, and I show him some of the stuff. And he laughs about it. I mean, he understands that we do have to fix it because I have the inspector coming out. And when the inspector sees this, he's going to fail me. So I had to re-rip out all the plumbing. So I, I took the picture, showed him. How did it pass the first time around? They never got permits. Without a doubt, you did not get a permit. Oh, there is no one I've ever seen in my lifetime when you put drains in. You don't put traps in. It just turns straight into the main drain. There's no vents, no traps. And I said to, to the, the homeowner, I said, Mark, uh, you know, when you flush the toilet, did you hear that suck sound from the, the vanity? And he said, yeah, yeah, we're talking about it because there's no it, yeah. there's no vents, yeah. no vents, no trap. All this is just going straight out. So for all of our homeowners listening, traps are designed so the gases from the sewer don't go back into your home, into your house. Yeah, and that little suction I was telling is that you know you remember the old Coke cans or Pepsi cans years ago? You, you you open one side up and with a little triangle piece of tool that opened it up back then years ago, right. and you dumped it and it was very slow coming out. And then you hit the other side and came out pretty fast because of that air transfer. Right. That's what the venting does. Mm -hmm. It allows the plumbing to flow freely, freely through your house. There was no vents. There's there no traps, no nothing. So we had to rip all that out and redo it and do it right. Which was nice because Mark decided to do a couple more upgrades. Uh, his water heater was about seven, eight years old. So we decided to put everything new, top of the line, do it right. Inspector came out a couple of days later, passed everything. We told him what had happened. And that's why we had to chop up some more. And that's one of the reasons why I get permits, because when you're, you're doing a job, you want to make sure the job's done right. And that's what the township inspectors are there to do. And <laughs> this guy doing a flip on the house did not do it so well. That was one part. Now, we did see some electrical issues in the basement, but it wasn't that big of a deal. So three days later, we start framing the basement, got it all done. We go upstairs this past week. We ripped everything out. That's when the fun began. There was a bathroom upstairs, and then there was some new wiring that was to the kitchen, because the kitchen, as Mark said- yeah, so it was there's a wiring problem here, too. You're getting that now, right? I wouldn't even call it a problem. So if you're a wiring contractor, and Mark said it right, he said, if you're an electrician, you should know that's not right to do that, but let alone he did it anyway. So we call it splices. We start taking out the wall, and Dave starts laughing. He goes, look at this one. These were boxes inside the wall. Now, if you have a splice that you do need to put in by code, you can do that. You have to have the box, but the box has to be exposed, which means there's an accident, usually a blank plate that's going to cover it. So you, you need access to that. These were in the walls. They were covered. We didn't even know they were there. He's running main feeds and then topping these splices, all this, what we call home run, <laughs> in the wall in the box, and then trying to piecemeal it out. Well, there was one part in the kitchen where he couldn't get the light, so he hacks out one of the joists, was short on the wire, puts a little piece of tape on it, electrical tape and some nuts, and then extends it, to the light, but he couldn't reach it from the other side, so we put another splice in. So there's two splices. Could this have started a fire? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. They do have splice kits, but again, this was about five, six years ago before we bought the house, this guy had redid the house. So you know back then you didn't get a permit if you were splicing every two feet wire with wire nuts. And you, this is an You can't be code. No. 
no, this is not code. But it wasn't once, twice. It was all over the place. And you could just tell by the, the wiring, the way they had wired. It was loose. It wasn't the way I like it. I'm a little more on the anal side. And people say to me, like, Kevin, you're never going to see the wire that's in the wall. Well, the electrician I deal with is, is spot on. He runs a great job. He puts the wires together. It just looks professionally done. And that's what inspectors know and see. That We just had him out today before I got to the studio. The inspector came, passed everything. But that's why we get the inspections. Because you, the homeowner, now have a peace of mind that it was done and done right. <laughs> Not the way this was done. There was pieces everywhere, different kinds of wire. Uh, they were using wrong wire and wrong gauges to go to different appliances. It, it, it's been a nightmare. And we had to strip everything out and restart it from scratch again because that improper wire, and you, you can see the dimming of the lights, the ovens weren't getting enough power to it so that when you turn it on, the lights will go dimmer in, in other arts. Yeah, if you had a hair dryer, he said on the upstairs, everything was blowing. And I said, all that is. He's is, just fortunate that he took on this project now and you picked this up. Could have burned the whole house down. Uh, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. And it was, it, again, I, I'm not saying it can't happen, but yeah. I mean, they had enough electrical tape on it to try to wrap it up. But what if that electrical tape rotted out or, or a, a mouse started chewing into the wires? Something like that. Yes, it could burn the house down. That's somebody's safety that you're dealing with. You're selling a home, either you're a contractor or not. You're going to be selling to somebody and else. And you knew it was done that way. Well, maybe you didn't know it was wrong. Well, I mean, if you're in the business, you got to know putting pieces of wire inside a wall that's going to be not exposed is not, not good. And then on top of that, instead of drilling, because the drywall is down, instead of drilling uh, holes in the joist where you want to be center so it, it doesn't in, ruin the integrity of the joist, he starts hacking out the bottom. Then puts no nail plates over because we didn't even see that. Because as I'm taking the drywall, I said, Dave, look at this one. The wire was just exposed. So if you have wire, which sometimes you need to do that, if you're going through like a, a plate, you need to put the steel plates over, they're called nailing plates. So if a drywall guy is going to be installing it, it doesn't nail through the plumbing and or electric. These steel plates, you can't put a nail through it. And it's protecting that. So it's protecting you, the homeowner, that mm -hmm. you don't have this problem. Sure. None of them. Not throughout the entire place. So I went out and got new plates and redid all these, some of the existing part where I'm not doing it, just so it's done right, some of the stuff that I didn't need to replace. But it's just making sure it's in code. And that's what we had to do before the inspector got there. So if you're a contractor and you're doing this, remember, think about this. You're going to be selling to somebody that's going to have a family inside that house. Do you want that on your conscience that you're going to be doing No, job? it's totally irresponsible. Well, th that's the problem I have. If, with you know, if you know what's wrong. And some people may not realize that it's wrong. Uh, yeah. It's hard to believe, but maybe they don't. You know, <laughs> Pieces, hey, I'm an electrician. Well, what are you doing it that way for? I would love to get someone on the air to talk about that. Uh, again, if electricians want to come on, uh, I'd love to hear some of your horror stories. Bring them on, because I'm going to be posting them on Facebook, so you'll actually see them. But here's the, the doozy of them all. Dave was ripping out the kitchen part. Now, right above it's the tub. And I had to go pick some stuff out of um, the shop to bring it back, because we had to get a few more things in there. Well, the vibration on the wall, and I didn't even know this. Uh, the tub above was was redone by the the new homeowner, or the old homeowner that was had the house, mm -hmm. the contractor. And the trap fell off, and the plumber was there and just looked up and said, "Oh, jeez, you got to be what, you, what? What happened here?" I said, "Well, the vibration." He said, "Well, that's not what I'm looking at. Two things wrong with that. Number one, it's a sink trap, not a tub trap. It's a real thin pipe that you see, a little pipe trap, and it's put on backwards. So number one, it's put on backwards, and number two, it's for a sink, not a tub." So my plumber came in and ripped it all out because again, the inspector's going to see that. So we had to fix that. So I texted Mark the picture of the homeowner. I said, "Hey, Mark." Uh, do you want this fixed? And it was it fell apart. It was only in about a quarter inch. Yeah, if you that. hadn't fixed it, you would have gotten dinged by the inspector for not for doing something it right. Absolutely, that you never did. <laughs> so that's why we do it right, and that's why we, uh, we we do get inspectors for that, so we can get our work verified. So if you do that's have any some questions, kind of hard, that's actually a, that's a happy story because had you not been on the scene, 
bad things could have happened. And we, we do see it a lot, but not to this scale. And yeah. especially that I found that the guy was a contractor prior that had had this house and he was redoing it for the flip. That's what more or less worries me that this is what I'm seeing today at the contract. Okay, we got to wrap this segment, but listen, stick with us because we got Donna Butts, executive director of the DC nonprofit Generations United to talk to you about multi-generational living arrangements, something that might be very, very helpful to you. Tell you, Ron, now it's time for the college. And I tell you, Ron, I understand that we've got a very informative and timely featured interview today with Donna Butts. We do. Yes, she's the executive director of Generations United, a nonprofit in D.C. And I actually had the privilege of being invited in a Zoom meeting with her and a few other colleagues. I believe it was April 1st was the date to discuss. Was that was April 1? Yeah. April 1. Okay. We discussed a whole bunch of things, like the result of a survey that was organized and undertook a document that impact COVID that had on the people around the nation and how we talked about a multi-generational situation, which part of my life, which my wife and I and uh, my kids uh, allowed our in-laws, well, allowed, they actually came in and uh, they're into our home in an apartment. And then Donna was the head of that and she ran the uh, the organization. So uh, Donna, thank you for including me in that Zoom meeting. I do appreciate it. And Ron and I are exactly 100% behind you. And 100% behind Generations United, and we're really looking forward to doing this interview with you today. Yeah, anytime we can uh, help get your name out there and, and what you do, we will, uh, you know, we're raising our hand for that assignment. That's terrific. We really appreciate it. And Kevin, I have to say, I swear you were the most popular person on that Zoom. All of the questions were coming to you, and people really, really were looking to you for guidance and appreciated your wisdom. So oh, thank, thank you. you. I'm sorry you told him that. I won't be able to drive yeah, my head's now. now. Yeah, His head's growing Frank, these, as we speak. It's getting a little tight on these earphones here. Well, I, I tell you, I love helping people. That's the most thing that I love doing about the well, show. That's why we do the show, people, yeah. Just yeah, to help absolutely. whether it's in contracting. And again, with the situations, I know I was trying to get as much information for such a short time that we had to do that. But I mean, there's even a lot more information that I could help your listeners when they're ready to move that step towards uh, living the multi-generational. So we, we've, we're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. So and we want to talk about let's that. Just and, uh, jump, jump right into just, this. Let's okay. get right into it, Ron. Donna, your organization does great work, and I've spent a lot of time on your website. I understand what it is you do, and there's definitely a need for it. So, But for our listeners who haven't heard about Generations United, what is your mission, and how did the organization come about? Generations United was founded over 30 years ago, and we were really founded with the mission of improving the lives of children, youth, and older adults for the benefit of our communities and our, our country and our world. And really, we were founded at a time when people were trying to pit the generations against each other and say we couldn't possibly support our youngest and our oldest uh, members of our society. When it really, they're the, when you think about it, they're the bookend generations. They're the ones that hold our communities and our society together. And we can and should value and engage them whenever it's possible. So we look at programs and policies through this intergenerational lens of how can older and younger people be assets and resources to each other and to their communities. And that has expanded into also supporting families and multi-generational families that are really stronger together. I agree. Great, great mission. You know, I came out of New York when I was 47 years old and I, I experienced, I was the owner of an agency up there. And I experienced agents discrimination at that time. And we had many, many talks. We had a network group. There's so much that not older people, but people in their 50s, 60s, 70s have to offer because of all the life experiences they've had, you know? And uh, why cast that all aside? Doesn't make any sense. But I think that's all turning now. I think it's coming back the other way because, I mean, here I am with you, right? Yeah. And I enjoyed a, another career in healthcare marketing before we started doing this. So I think it's turning around. Would you agree with me on that? 
Oh, I think it is changing, and I think it's changing because it needs to. Just as you said, there's so much more that you have to contribute throughout different times of your life. And to think that people just reach a, a particular stage and then we put them out to pasture makes no sense at all. People are living longer, they're living healthier, and they want to contribute. They want to be involved. They want to stay challenged and purposeful and engaged. And we really need to make sure that we give people that opportunity. Absolutely. Touche. Touche. But let's get into this uh, study you just did. You did it with the Harris poll. I mean, that was the whole reason Kevin and other people were on on April 1, I guess it was, right? Yep. What was the objective of that study? Well, we did it. We actually did the first study 10 years ago, and we did it during the Great Recession. And we were interested to see what impact the recession had on how families were living, how they were coming back together. And what we found back in 2011, when we did this national survey with Harris, 7% of the respondents said they lived in multi-generational households. Now, a lot of people said that number is going to decrease when the economy does better, but in fact, it continued to increase. And people may have come together by need. They stayed together by choice. And that number continued to increase. And now with COVID, we were sure there was going to be another spike. And so we were able to do the survey with Harris. What I think is really important about what we did, though, and Kevin was a fabulous person uh, to help with this, is we shared the stories about the families. Because most people were just looking at the numbers and saying, oh, it's sad, or oh, look at this, this number increase. But when you talk to the families, it works for a lot of families. So that was our point, was we want to get that message out that may not be for everybody, but it's for a lot of people and a lot of families. And we should celebrate that. Yeah. Real people, real people generate the data. Yeah. I'm one of them. You're more than one of them because you had your in-laws and your kids and everybody were in the picture, right? But also I'm part of that because I'm the one also doing the contracting to get the multi-generational families together. So I'm the one physically doing the work to make that happen. That was some of the things that we were talking about to try to educate our listeners. People today, when they're, as they're moving in, it's so difficult, especially with all the delays and products that are going out to get these families, because I am still getting massive amount of phone calls on how can we do this? How can we do it quickly? That life need, as soon as I start talking about their life needs, what are they going to be doing? How are we going to be able to do this quickly? Once all that puzzle fits in, their needs, it does fall together very easy. But Don, you're absolutely right. It's amazing and how much... Uh, inventory and how many times that I, I get phone calls on to to do this multi-generational to bring the the parents or the in-laws in and it, it's staggering uh, how many phone calls we still get uh, every day on that i can't have the the multi-generational experience myself now because my whole family is gone it's just myself and my daughter and she lives in california i have a girlfriend because my wife died in about seven years ago now and uh, her husband died and i've sort of like become a member of their family and they had a family meeting to determine what they were going to call me. And they chose Pop-Pop. I wasn't crazy about that, but okay, works for me, you know. In Bhutanese, Pop-Pop is amazing. It means amazing. Let them know. And the more Pop-Pop-Pop-Pops there are, the more amazing you are. <laughs> I'm going to insist, insist on like a Pop-Pop-Pop-Pop-Pop. Right. Yeah, right. Ron is a good guy. Yeah, he is a good guy. How many members of multi-generational families took part in your study? In the study, it was about... 2,000 people who took part in it. And of those 2,000 people, 26% said they lived in multi-generational families. Now that's a a whooping 271% increase from from the study we did in 2011. And it's quadrupling. Nearly one in four American adults say they live in a multi-generational household. Did you find that multi-generational living arrangements grew in popularity because of the COVID experience or is it just cumulative coming out of the financial crisis? 
Well, it was really interesting because 66% of the families, the households said that they came together because of COVID, or actually it was 57%, six in 10 people. And then 66% said that it had to do with economic, the economic climate. But really what was interesting, I think we all heard about this and, and continue to hear about it during COVID, is that it was an equal 34% that said they were in a multi-generational household because of elder care needs and 34% because of child care needs or children's education. So they came together for caregiving reasons as well. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, caregiving today is a big problem. and The government's trying to address that in a broader sense, but it has been a big problem. And maybe this is a part of the solution to it. When you think about the horror stories of, of families finding their loved ones isolated and unable to see visitors when they were away in a senior-only housing development or, or a care facility, and it was just heartbreaking. So there's a lot of comfort in having those loved ones closer to you to know that they can perceive the care that they need. But also for a lot of healthy older adults, a young family needed help. When you think about parents working from home and then children needing to be educated at home, they needed and need those extra pair of hands, that extra help with making sure their kids are paying attention to their their studies, as well as getting some activity in. My girlfriend, Rosemary, she's been school Mormon because her daughter works full time. And her son-in-law works full-time. They have two kids. It's got to be like, you know, juggling bowling pins all the time. So Rosemary pitches in, and it works, because she was a teacher. She taught at Drexel for years. They are really fortunate to have her around and to be able to help with that. For example, one of my doctors retired early so that he could help take care of his grandkids two days a week during COVID. It's just families doing what families do. They pull together, and they're stronger, and they each contribute and enrich each other's lives. Yeah, I just went to a funeral. One of my partners in New York just died. He had Parkinson's, got COVID, went to the hospital for like 20 days, and then ended up in a nursing facility, and that was it. But at that point, his one daughter and her husband, they were living in Connecticut. She was working in Connecticut. You can work remotely now. They moved into his house. They're going to stay in his house now. He lived with them in his house for probably five, six, seven years before this all happened. Mm -hmm. So it does work. You can make it work. You really can. And what's interesting when we talk to the families was what helps support their success. Because one thing I think is really fascinating is that even though we talk about people may have moved in together because of COVID or expedited the move, 72% of the families say they're going to stay together. And 98% of them say that their family functions successfully. Some of the things, and I think this is great for and fits you folks so well, is the reasons why they said the house design was such a big part of their success. And a majority said the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms, 30% said they home modifications and additions were what helped them live successfully together. Kevin would vouch yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah Don, everything you said, every percentage that you mentioned fit me perfectly mm-hmm. every, from soup to nuts, without a doubt. I, I, I remember when, when I was on your show, your Zoom meeting, I had a few of my friends that were, were jumping in and they, they kind of heard that little comment I made. I said, yeah, well, we designed it. It's their own place. And then I put another uh, entry door that separates us so I can keep it locked when I need it to. It's not there for that reason, but I, I just wanted to make sure that they have their privacy because they do have people uh, that do stop over. They're really close friends that uh, they do get together. And that's one of the biggest things that they have their privacy. And with that availability, it made my life easy because it's not controlling anybody or interfering with anybody's lives. We have that yeah. separation. Yeah, it works. And it works. If you have the people that and you can design a home as now going into a contract, design a home to those life needs that people do need, it works. It can definitely work. Mm-hmm. 
And Kevin, what I was think, thinking about too is they talked about the home design, but they talked about other things that helped support their success. And you're very right, that ability to have privacy. But I thought of you because 40% said that one of the reasons why they were successful is they had family meals together. Yeah, every night. Well, you know what? When I, I'm not with my girlfriend and her family, when I want a multi-generational experience, I go to Kevin's house for a great dinner. <laughs> Your mother-in-law was a chef. Yep. Your, his wife went to uh, Johnson, Johnson Wales. Wales. So yeah, it's a win-win for me. <laughs> well, that's the best part is I don't have to do any cooking. Yeah, I mean, right. if you want me to cook for you, I do do, and I will say chicken sushi is my favorite. I know how to cook that very well, juicy chicken. So after I did that twice already, my wife said, you know, you're done. You can't cook anymore. But one of the reasons I always say that I moved my mother-in-law is because they're cooking. She's a phenomenal cook. And we do every, uh, at least five days a week, four days sometimes, we have family dinner. And last night we were talking about it. And I told my family that you were coming on the air with us. And we just talked about it. We laughed. We enjoyed it. And that's the whole thing in life. And I tell you, I couldn't be more blessed to have them in with us. I mean, they're the chef. They're the Uber driver. They're the the taking care of the kids. They're driving my kids around. I don't know how we could have done it without them. So we've been very blessed as a family to have them be part of our lives. Under the umbrella of COVID now, was there an economic reason? Is remote working, did that facilitate this whole thing? Remote working, there were economic factors because for some of the families, they moved in together because they may have lost a house, because they may have lost a job, they need to go back to school to get an education. But also a lot of the families are reporting it's culturally expected that they live together and it's a part of their culture to live together. So there is a financial piece to it because also what the families report is that living together does help at least one family member financially. But one thing that I thought that I found interesting too is that I think it was 49% of the households had an income of $100,000 or greater. So whether they're pooling their resources, but they're comfortable financially and they're making it work even better because they're able to pool those resources. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Has this skewed to any particular region or regions of the country? Our respondents reported more more likelihood in the South and the West. What we've seen in the past, too, is is higher numbers where there are larger immigrant populations, because really it's our country where we've sort of said it's taboo and there's something wrong if you have to live together. Most cultures have always and continued to embrace multi-generational families and multi-generational living. And it's really here. We were settled by multi-generational families, and now we're getting back to something and actually going forward to something that's better. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think the Italians who live in Italy probably are major proponents of this whole kind of lifestyle thing, right? Multi-generational. Totally. Mm -hmm. It would be insulting if you didn't think about living together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay. How about ethnic groups here? Any particular skew one way or the other there? Sure. I mean, when you look at sheer numbers, it's the families are mostly white. But if you look at percentages, Latino, Latinx, Hispanic, African-American, and of course, in the Asian-American. So again, it's it's a part of the culture. So there is some of that variance. And I think it's just fortunate that other families are starting to catch up with them. By your reckoning, how many multi-generational families are there living in the U.S. today? I don't have a total number, but what we were seeing in our study was 26% of the population, of the adult population, and that one in four adults are living in a multi-generational household. So can that be extrapolated to the entire population, you think? Yeah, I think whether it's permanent or temporary, I think we've seen a lot and we'll continue to see a lot of of people living in multi-generational households. I think you will too. I think you will. And Kevin's willing to build them. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you hear about that from contractors like Kevin, but also from people who are building new homes. The biggest demand is in multi-generational households. It's kind of going from the McMansion to the Mac family uh, is the sort of model that people well are said. looking for. Well said. Well yeah, yeah. said. Well, my family was, my in-laws, when they sold their house, they had an in-law suite. And I tell you, when that the people that found out that there was an in-law suite in the back of the house, it went from probably like three or four bidders in the first 10 minutes to at least Shot 20. Up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the in-law suite, they, we, they wanted to put that on there. That was on there. And that was one of the big factors. Uh, even like when my mother had a house uh, that we sold about a year or so ago. And I drove by it maybe about six months ago. And there was an addition put on my mother's house and we sold it by the new homeowners, and they put an in-law suite in for the family. So it's working. Well, let's take a trip down memory lane here. How does what's happening now and what you found relate to what happened through the 20th century when industry was roaring here in this country from after the Second World War and into the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe even before that? Yeah, you're really right that the percentage of multi-generational families decreased as our country became more industrialized, people moved away for jobs, that sort of thing. And then I think as a society, we felt like we had to put the stamp of approval on it and say that's the way we should live. But in 1960, it was 15% of Americans living in multi-generational families. And then the low was was in 1980 when it was 12%. And then as we got into, again, different economic situations, that number started to increase. And so it's really been, you know, the turn of the century when we've really started to see more dramatic increases. You know, as I was getting ready for this interview, I thought back to shows that I watched years ago. In your opinion, has TV through through the years had an impact on multi-generational? I'm talking about, remember the Waltons? Good night, John Boy. Remember that? (laughs) I'm not that old. uh, How about the Brady Bunch? That's getting my days. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Bonanza with Halston Paw. Has that had an impact on how people think about this? Well, you know, I th- I was thinking about Andy Griffith because where would they have been oh, without yeah. B? Absolutely, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. They needed, needed. So I I do think there have been some shows that have shined a light on how positive it can be and how normal it can be. I also think sometimes that television and movies have also impacted that whole sense of independence. The John Wayne, go it alone, don't need anybody else. That that influenced people for a while too. And I do think that the pendulum is coming back now, and people are realizing and acknowledging that we are interdependent. We need each other and we're stronger together. Yeah, very well said again. And we are, and we always have been. Yep. People may not have realized it at one point in time, but we always have been. Based on the data that came out of your study, where are we going from here? What's, what's the track ahead? I really think that we're going to continue to see the numbers increasing for a number of reasons. More people are living longer. Families have more generations than ever before. And they're seeing the value and the importance of having their children connected to the stories and the roots that older relatives can provide and the purpose that older people can derive from helping with, as Kevin was saying, being the Uber driver, making the meal, making sure a child studies. There's that purpose that really makes a difference. It's important to understand that it's not for every family. Not every family has that luxury of having the extended family. Not everybody is going to be able to live in the same community. But what we need to do as neighborhoods, as states, as the country, is to celebrate the fact that this is working for a number of families and how wonderful that is and how much stronger that helps us. How will Generations United go about increasing the number going forward? You you have a number of platform that you've established to go forward and perpetuate this. Well, part of what we look at is where we need to do some education and where we need to do some policy changes. And so for us, 
a large part of what we try to do is to shine a light on the positive outcomes of multi-generational living and how desirable it is and that the family should be celebrated, accepted, and supported in the ways necessary. So oftentimes what we heard from multi-generational families is they need more flexibility from their employers. They need to have family leave that helps them to provide care for older relatives or younger relatives. They need the flexibility to work from home at times or to work from an office. They, we need to make sure that we're providing for high quality child care and adult care. And I think that my favorite, personal favorite of our recommendations on that is it's wonderful when we combine care, when we can have what we call intergenerational shared sites so that a child care and adult daycare would be located together or a senior housing community would also house a school or a nursery or pre-k because then generations can mix naturally as well as in planned activities and it also makes it easier on a family because rather than going having to try to drive to a child care center drive to an, an adult daycare center drive here drive there they can take their family to one location drop them pick them up it really helps with that do you know of any housing developments anywhere in the country right now, or maybe even Canada, that were specifically designed for multi-generational living? There are a couple. I think developers have really started to see that the future isn't Sun City, older adult gated communities. The future is multi-generational. Mm -hmm. So there's Rancho Mission Viejo in California that was developed and designed to have neighborhoods that were multi-generational, or even if they had a cul-de-sac of uh, homes for older adults, they were part of the community so that they had gathering places. They've got a community center. They've got trails that can be used by all generations. And Verado outside of Phoenix is one that was developed, again, with the idea of a place where people can start with a, a small house, go to a larger house, maybe downsize to a townhouse or, or a loft, and actually have a continuing care retirement center in the town as well. So builders are thinking about it. And we've also heard from builders that have multi-generational housing designs that that's pretty much what they're building now. That's what people want. So they're naturally developing these kind of communities. Final question. Say Kevin had a dilemma on his hands. He's taking in his one set of in-laws. What does he do with his mother? How do you come to a decision like that in terms of who to group into your sphere? Well, I have faith that Kevin could just keep building up and up and up. <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. <laughs> now, it could be a thorny issue, you know? Yeah. I it mean, really can. I've been fortunate. I have brothers, and uh, my, my mother's living with my younger brother now. But we're, we're still trying to decide what's the best avenue because we want to make it work for everybody. But I, I've been fortunate all around. Like I said, I've been blessed because my brothers are, are willing to step up and they've been doing a great job on their end. So we're all tight-knit family. We'll, we'll do anything for each other. And the same thing with my mother. And uh, my brother loves it because he's over there uh, cooking, cleanings, doing everything that uh, can make their life easy. So it works. It works on all of our family. So I'm, I appreciate everything. Donna, before so you tell people how they can get in touch with you, i got an idea for you. I don't know if it exists or not. If it doesn't, a National Observance Month Family mm. Awareness Month, Multi-Generational Awareness Month. I mean, there are mm -hmm. all sorts of months, and you might find a very, very willing administration, because the new administration in, in D.C., willing to get behind that and support it in some way. I think that's a great idea, Ron, because we, we do a lot of work internationally with the United Nations. And one of the groups I'm involved with there every year has a International Day of Family. And I think our country is one of the only countries that I'm aware of that doesn't really celebrate that. And it's time we should. Time we should. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm behind you Amen. 100%. Amen. Yep. So how do people get in touch with you? 
Well, the easiest way to find Generations United is our website, which we try to make easy. It's just GU for generationsunited.org. So generationsunited.org. And we're also on social media. So I would encourage people, check out our website, sign up for our newsletter, stay connected, connect with us on social media, and share your stories. Great organization, Generations United. Donna, thank you for doing this. And anyone out there who is thinking multi-generational, it's a good way to go. Absolutely. Yeah, Donna, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate me allowing to come on your show and then you coming on ours and really getting the word out. I I, I couldn't agree more with you. I'm behind you 100%. Looking forward to doing some further work with you also. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you and Ron. And we feel the same. We feel the same. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for coming on Your Valuable Home podcast. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 